Oftentimes, uh, people put a lot of stock in someone's last words. Ginger Alden, she was Elvis Presley's fiance, she said that his last words were, I'm going to the bathroom to read. John Wayne, his last words were, of course I know who you are, you're my girl, I love you. He said that to his dog. No, he said it to his wife. <laughs> but some very precious last words from a husband to a wife right before he died. John Adams, of course, on, uh, he died on July 4th, 1826, and he famously said before he died, as his last words, Jefferson still lives. Unfortunately, Jefferson had died earlier that day. Before he was executed, Tom Grasso said, I didn't get my SpaghettiOs, I got spaghetti. I want the press to know. So last words can be meaningful, they can be powerful, they can be uh, funny, they can be thoughtful. There are entire books written about famous people's last words. But no one's final words should be more important than the final words of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. As Christ hung on the cross, he gave seven statements. He said seven things that these, to those that were gathered around him that day. But these seven statements, these seven words have incredible value and meaning for us today. See, the cross of Christ is the cornerstone of our Christian faith. The cross of Christ is it's more than just a symbol to us. It is, it is what we, we base our faith and our salvation on. Jesus went to the cross so that we, all of humanity, all of mankind, through his death, burial, and resurrection, could be redeemed to God the Father. And because of the cross, because of his death, because of his resurrection, we can have a relationship with God today. Because of the cross, everything that was broken in the Garden of Eden has been restored and repaired and man can once again fellowship with God the Father. To believers though, when we talk about the cross, we're not just talking about two pieces of wood fashioned together standing in the ground. To believers, it's much more than that. The cross represents our salvation. The cross represents our redemption. The cross, even though it is gruesome, and terrible, and a horrible scene. The cross represents love and hope. It's where Jesus, the Son of God, was stretched out between heaven and earth, suffering more than anyone has ever suffered before or has ever suffered since, and he did it not because he was guilty, but he did it for you, and he did it for me. The cross is where the love of God and the justice of God meet. The cross is where the penalty for man's sin was paid once and for all. And while on the cross, Jesus said seven things. He spoke seven times. And these seven statements have profound meaning for us today. So this morning, as we celebrate the risen Savior, I'm going to look at these statements and see what they mean for us this morning. So let's first of all look at the, the first word. It's in Luke chapter 23. Verse number 33, and when they had were come to the place which is called Calvary, they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is an incredible scene that is unfolding before mankind. Jesus has already, up to this point, 
He has already endured incredible pain, incredible torment, incredible humiliation. He was betrayed by one of his apostles and sold for 30 pieces of silver. He's been rejected by the Jews, the very ones he came to minister to and to give his life for. It says he came into his own, but his own received him not. So he's been rejected by the Jewish community. He's, he's been forsaken by Peter. The rest of the apostles have scattered. He's been abandoned and left alone by the people that said they'd stay with him the longest. He's been put through a false trial. And once he was found guilty of crimes he never committed, he was beaten, he was scourged. And sometimes we, 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 we kind of gloss over that. The scourging that Jesus went through was incredibly painful. They whipped him with what's called the cat of nine tails. It's a whip that on the end of it had seven different strands. And in each strand, there was a, a sharp piece of metal sewn into it so that when they whipped you, it wasn't just striking you, it would tear flesh away from your body. And the Roman soldiers were masters at torture. They would rip flesh off of people, and Jesus took a tremendous beating. A medical doctor one time did a study on this and said that after Christ had been scourged, his rib cage was probably exposed to the air. His spinal column would have been exposed to the air because the flesh was ripped away. He's in incredible shock. He's in incredible pain. Then they, they put a crown of thorns on his head and beat it into his brow. They spit on him. They mock him. They rip his beard out. Then, after beating him so severely, they make him carry his cross, which most people believe weighed over 150 pounds. They made him carry his cross up to Calvary where they laid him on it, and then they nailed him to that cross. Through his wrists and through his feet, they physically nailed him to the cross. Then they lift him up between heaven and earth and put him in the hole. And the Bible tells us that when he was placed in that hole, that every joint in his body came dislocated. His shoulders, his elbows, his knees, his hips, everything became dislodged. Isaiah says that he was beaten so severely, he wouldn't even look like a human. And as he's hanging there, he looks around, says, forgive them. Forgive who? Forgive the Roman soldiers? I mean, yeah, they tortured him. Yeah, they nailed him to the cross. Yeah, they're crucifying him, but it's, it's their job. It's what they have to do. If they don't do it, they're obeying orders. If they refuse to obey their orders, they're going to be killed. So forgive them because they're just, they're just doing their job, Father. Maybe forgive the, Roman, the Jewish leaders who lied on him and, and mocked him and, and plotted to have him murdered. Maybe saying, God, they, they don't understand what they're doing. Forgive them. Maybe forgive the apostles for just running away from him. Father, forgive them. Maybe he's looking at the crowd that's gathered, the crowd that just a week before, when he came into Jerusalem, had been crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now they're crying, crucify him, and they're mocking him and ridiculing him and spitting at him. Maybe saying, God, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. The answer is yes. He was talking to God and he was saying, God, forgive all of these people. They're just doing what they have to do. They're doing what was prophesied. They're doing what's required for man's salvation. But the truth is, he, he wasn't just talking about them. He was talking about us. You know, we like to read these stories and say, oh, it was the Jews that crucified Christ. It was the Romans that crucified Christ. We like to put blame. Here's the fact of the matter. 
It was me. I crucified Jesus. And so did you. But we weren't there. But your sins were. Before you were born, before you were ever thought about, God loved you so much, he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for your sins. Jesus was hanging on the cross, not because of sins he had committed. He was completely and totally sinless. He was hanging on the cross for the sins of the world. Yes, for the soldiers. Yes, for the religious leaders. Yes, for the disciples, for the crowd, but also for us. So as he is beaten and mangled and in pain and hanging on the cross and says, Father, forgive them, he is offering forgiveness to us this morning. The forgiveness that he was praying for God was for God to forgive you and forgive me. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians. He said, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Didn't die for his sins. He died for our sins. He hung because of us. So what Jesus is saying, while he hangs on the cross, is there's forgiveness at the cross. Forgiveness for the soldiers and their part they played. Forgiveness for the Jewish leaders and the part that they played. Forgiveness for the apostles and how they just abandoned him and ran away. Forgiveness for the Jews who were mocking him, but also forgiveness for you and for me today. Every one of us here struggle with something in our past we wish we could forget. A, a harsh word spoken. A deed, an evil deed that we may have committed. Maybe a betrayal that we were a part of. Some sin in our life that we wish we would forget about. And the wonderful saying of Jesus on the cross is it tells us that no matter what we have done, no matter how wicked we may have been, there is forgiveness for every single person at the cross. But there's a second word. Look in Luke 23, starting in verse number 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? See, now thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. So here's the scene. Here's Christ hung on the cross, and he's between two thieves, two criminals, two people who has, they've committed crimes, they've been through a trial, they've been sentenced to death, and they are justly and rightly being executed for the crimes that they've committed. And here's one of them on the left-hand side. He's just cursing Jesus. You say you're God, you say you're the Messiah. If you're so good, you save yourself and save us too. And the other one looks at him and says, man, what are you doing? Don't you understand what's happening here? We're, we deserve to be here. We deserve to get, well, we've committed the crimes. We're guilty of them. We're receiving the punishment that we deserve. But this guy, he's done nothing. He's done nothing wrong. But then look what he continues saying. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Jesus' first word on the cross, Father, forgive them. It encompassed all of humanity. Both the thieves on the cross, both the criminals, it included all of them. He was offering forgiveness to everyone 
who has ever lived. But his second word focuses on one needy sinner. God not only sees the world, he sees the individuals that are in it. This thief, he, he recognized something in Jesus he had, he had never seen before. He, he knew, I'm getting what I deserved. I earned this. I was a criminal. I've committed crimes. I'm getting what I deserve. But this guy, he's done nothing wrong. Instead of cursing his tormentors as he's nailed to the cross, Jesus forgives them. And this thief is like, I've, I've never seen anything like this. And the, hum, the thief, he humbly looks at Jesus and says, when you get to heaven... You remember me? See, I'll tell you what this thief is doing. He's recognizing he's a sinner. He's recognizing he is going to be punished for his sins because he deserves to be. He's understanding there's nothing he can do to get away from it, and he's looking at Christ and saying, you are the only sinless one, and you're the only thing that can help me. And Jesus looks at him and says, I'll do more than that. Today when I get there, you're going to be with me. Do you understand what, what just happened here? This thief, this criminal, this person who deserves to be executed, he just got saved. He didn't join a church. He didn't get baptized. He didn't memorize scripture. He didn't tithe. He didn't do good works. What did he do? He realized he was doomed with no hope and he put his trust in the only one that could help him, the Jesus Christ. This tells us that no one is beyond the redemption of God. It also tells us salvation is simple. Man has complicated it. Religion has complicated it. You gotta do these things, gotta go to this class, gotta, gotta check all these check marks, and then if you're good enough and worthy enough and able enough, then maybe, maybe, maybe you'll be saved. This thief could have never done any of that. He died just a few hours later. He couldn't get his life right, his life was ending. Jesus is telling us there is salvation at the cross for anyone who seeks it. We are taught we have to be worthy to earn it, but all this thief did was ask. He realized he was doomed. He realized he couldn't save himself, and he realized that only Jesus did. So he asked, Jesus, will you save me? And Jesus says, you will be with me. This word of Christ tells us this. There is salvation at the cross for anyone that seeks it. Not just for a select few, not just for this group over here, not just for a chosen number, for anyone who seeks it, their salvation. The worst sinner can find salvation at the cross. And I'll be honest with you, I am thankful for that because I know me. And I'm a pretty bad sinner. I know I'm wearing a tie today. Last time you'll see it till next Easter, I promise you. But I'm a, I'm a pretty terrible sinner because I know myself. Oh, but you're a preacher. I'm just a human. You know, I love the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I wanna, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Paul, let's compare notes, buddy. I bet I got you beat. Because I know I'm the chief of sinners. But if someone as bad as this thief, if someone as bad as the Apostle Paul, if someone is as bad as me can receive salvation, anyone can. Salvation is available to anyone. But let's look at the third word. In John chapter number 19. <coughs> now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. As Jesus hangs on the cross and he's looking around, he, he catches the sight of his, his mother there. His disciple John, the disciple he loved, and they're just, they're heartbroken. I mean, put yourself in Mary's place. She knew this day was coming. She knew, you know, the whole, the, the Christmas song, Mary, did you know? She knew. It wasn't a shock. She knew she was giving birth to the Son of God. So she knew, because she knew Scripture, he came to die. She knew this day was coming, but still, that's her baby boy. And he's, he's in pain. He's in agony. And she's having to watch this, knowing He's doing this for me, but he's doing this for everyone else. And John is, and they're just, they're heartbroken. They're weeping. They're crying. They're watching the one they loved go through pain and agony. And he looks at them. He says, take care of each other. Comfort each other. Love each other. This word tells us another powerful truth. There is love at the cross, not just the love of God for us, of course, but the love of fellow believers for other believers. Life can be lonely. Sometimes we can feel isolated, but through the power of the cross, we have community. We have love. We have relationships. When life gets hard, when life gets problematic, because listen, I'm here to tell you, it's going to. If anyone ever tells you, man, you start coming to church and become a Christian, your life's going to be easy. They are lying to you. It is, I don't care if you're a Christian or not. Life is hard. Life gets, gets difficult. And as for the believer, when life gets difficult, when it gets problem, we don't need to pull away from the family of God. We need to pull close to those that God has placed in our lives, the ones that God has given us to love and given us to receive love from. So here's what this word tells us. There is love and acceptance at the cross from God, but also from others. Let's look at that fourth word, Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sanctimali, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This right here is one of the darkest and most incredible scenes in all of Scripture, to be honest, in all of history. While hanging on the cross, the world goes dark. For three hours, the sun can't shine. For three hours, the world is thrown in complete and total darkness because the creator of the world, for those three hours, he was paying the sin debt of all mankind. During this time of darkness... The sins of all of the world were placed on him. And for three hours, only three hours, but still, three hours, God the Father and God the Son were separated because Jesus was taking the punishment for our sins that we deserve to take. Every evil deed, every wicked thought, Every sin of every person that ever lived and ever would live was placed on Christ. And the perfect, sinless Lamb of God 
became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. At the climax of the crucifixion, Jesus becomes the scapegoat for the sin of the world, and he he is making the atonement for the sin of mankind. The word that Jesus tells us here is that number four, there is atonement at the cross for every single sin. See, forgiveness and atonement are different. Like, I'll pray you just said that. No, no. Forgiveness is God's forgiven you for your sins. He chooses not to remember. Atonement means your sins have been paid for. A couple weeks ago, I got a speeding ticket. It was April's fault, but I still got it. So I got a speeding ticket, and I get pulled over on Brambleton Avenue, and the officer comes over and asked me you know, for my driver lesson and all this stuff. And I, it was, we had just bought the car for Parker, and I had insurance on it, but I didn't have the insurance card, so I had to call my insurance agent. Like, I need you to email me an insurance card so I can show it. He's like, who you got to show it to? Oh, this cop that just pulled me over. And he's like, okay, well, let me raise your rates while I'm talking to you. And so, you know, I get the ticket, and I, I go to court, and I had to go to court because, again, April forgot to pay it online, and I was so angry with her, but it was worked out for the good. And so I get there, and the judge says, how do you plead? I'm like, guilty. You want to tell me anything about it? I was speeding. He's like, okay, well, thanks for admitting it. And he, he lowered my, my thing, and he gave me an option. He said, you can go to court, you can go to the driving school, pay $200 for the driving school and not have it, you know, be not guilty and not go on your record. Or since I knocked it down to the lowest charge possible, you can just pay a $53 charge and it'll be, you know, it'll be on your record, but you're done. Now, if I go to court, if I go to the driving school, that speeding charge is forgiven. But I went and I paid for it, it had been atoned for. Our sins are forgiven, but they still had to be paid for. When Jesus died on the cross, and three hours as the world went dark, and God placed all of our sins on him, he took our sins and put them on his account, and he took his sins, which were none of them, and gave them to us. Jesus Christ was paying for my sins. He was paying for for your sins. That means because of the cross, we are made clean. We are justified. We are no longer seen as sinners. We are seen as righteous as Jesus Christ. There is atonement at the cross. Look at the fifth word in John 19, 28. After this, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, The hours that Christ had spent on the cross had taken a tremendous toll on his body. Crucifixion was not a sudden death. It was a long, drawn-out execution. It was designed to inflict as much pain for as long as possible. It was a gruesome, terrible way to die. He was dehydrated. He was in shock. He was suffering from blood loss. He was, his sufferings were real. We like to say, oh, well, he was God, so he didn't feel it. He felt everything. He suffered incredibly. In this word, we see the humanity of Jesus, and we realize everything he had to go through to pay our sin debt, to purchase our redemption. This wasn't a simple task that God undertook. It was a massive and painful experience that he endured for us because if he didn't do it, 
we were going to have to. No, we wouldn't go to the cross, but we'd have to go to hell. How do we pay our own sin debt? Easy. Spend eternity in hell and you're done. Where you're tormented in pain forever and ever. So we were going to be tormented or he was going to do it for us. So this word shows us this. There is suffering on our behalf at the cross. The pain that Jesus endured, he did it so you wouldn't have to. He did it so I wouldn't have to. He suffered for our salvation. He suffered for you. But let's look at that sixth word. In John 19, verse 30, when Jesus had therefore finished the vinegar, received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. That phrase there, it is finished, is one Greek word. It's the Greek word teleo. It means to bring to a close, to accomplish, to fulfill or to complete. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was talking about the work of salvation that began thousands of years before in the Garden of Eden. Of course, after Adam and Eve sinned, God told them, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And this is the first promise that God gave, that he would defeat the power of sin and hell, that he would conquer the, the grave, that he would redeem mankind and do the work of salvation. And Jesus is saying, the work that began in the garden is now finished. That means there is nothing more for me to do. There is nothing more for you to do because Jesus did all of it. All we have to do is just like the thief, accept his gift of salvation. There's nothing left for man to do because Jesus completed it. The price for sin has been paid in full. The work is done. This word tells us very clearly there is victory at the cross. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over hell. There is victory for everyone at the cross. Let's look at that seventh word. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having thus, and having said thus, he gave up the ghost. The first word of Jesus on the cross, he's, he's talking to his father. The final word of Jesus on the cross, he's talking to his father. God had accepted the sacrifice of Christ as the payment of sin. And that would be demonstrated three days later when Jesus victoriously rose from the grave, defeated death and hell once and for all, and proved once and for all, I was the accepted sacrifice of God. God had accepted his sacrifice. And Jesus' final words, into thy hands I commend my spirit, it speaks of the confidence that he has because of his relationship with God. This word tells us that because of his death, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, we have eternal security with God. Our debt's been paid in full. The work has been accomplished. And we have security that if we're saved... If we've accepted Christ as our Savior, no matter what happens in our life, when we close our eyes in death, we will 
open them and see God face to face in heaven. This word tells us there is security at the cross. The final words of Jesus have a lot of meaning for us today. There's forgiveness at the cross. There's love and comfort at the cross. There's salvation at the cross. There's atonement for your sins at the cross. There is suffering for you at the cross. There is victory over sin at the cross. And there is eternal security at the cross. And those things are offered to everyone who's ever lived. All we have to do is understand, God, I'm doomed. I can't save myself. You've done all the work. Lord, I accept your gift. And we can enjoy all these things that God's given us at the cross. Will you enjoy everything there is at the cross? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.